0: That's awesome. I feel like Dex just gave me a huge wind up. Um, But I really can't fail after how good my wife just was. So let's give her another round of applause. Come on. I do have a small problem in that I just managed to somehow close my notes because I never used tablet mode on my laptop and I decided to tonight. So I'm going to take a second to sort that out. But in the meantime, uh, my name is Daniel Hollett. I'm actually a financial advisor by day and I spend most of my time talking to various people about money. And one of the things you'll notice when you talk to people about money is they can kind of clam up a little bit. I don't know if you've experienced this, but when people start talking about money, it's one of those things that's really, really important to them. And if you start pushing and probing, which is largely my job, you find people will start to clam up and you find how closely people are uh, knit to their money and our hearts can be so knit to our money. So a uh, really quick question. I want you to ask the person next to you, if Pastor Dex quit tonight and he gave you the job, How much time would you spend talking about money when you're preaching? How many sermons out of, just call it a percentage, out of 100%, how many sermons would you spend talking about money? Go, ask the person next to you. All right, by show of hands, who gave a number higher than 10%? By show of hands, higher than 10%, you would spend more than 10% talking about finances. Higher than 20? Higher than 30? Higher than 40? Higher than 50? My wife only wants to talk about money. <laughs> Babe, we can't spend it all. Um Jesus told a bunch of parables, roughly 40 of which 16 were about wealth and possessions, which suggests something like 40%. Uh, Scripturally, we have huge topics like prayer and faith. Combined, we have about a thousand verses on prayer and faith. But if we look at wealth and possessions, we have at least 2,000. What this tells me is that God is very, very interested in finances. And I believe he wanted his church to lead the global charge in financial literacy and stewardship. I think there are two reasons for this. I think there are two main reasons for which he's so interested in our relationship to money and the way we view it. And one is because there is a kingdom coming. Jesus is a king He is going to rule. He is going to reign, and we are going to rule and reign with him. And 1 Corinthians 2 9 tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what that's going to look like. It's going to literally blow your mind. And if Solomon, the wealthiest man that we know of, had roughly $2 trillion, I want to suggest to you that in the kingdom, the lowest person in the kingdom is going to have a greater wealth than Solomon. And if you and I are going to inherit a wealth like that, it starts to make sense why Jesus would talk so much about finance, so much about money to a group uh, called Israel who was oppressed by Rome. The, The Italians owned them and massively taxed them. See, Jesus is... Constant conversations about finances don't make sense in the context that he is in because so many of them were broke. But he talks about finances because there is wealth beyond parallel coming to his people. And he wants us to manage wealth today the same way we will manage wealth forever, which is in love for one another. So Jesus has a lot to say about wealth. And the second reason I believe is because it's so easy to develop a bad relationship with money. The world around us is full of bad relationships with money. And if you jump on social media, you will find a hundred bad things to do with your money. But if you jump on social media, you probably won't find many good ones. And so the world we live in is constantly having a money conversation with us that is mostly about spend it and future me will figure that out. But God has a better plan for you and he has a better plan for me. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. The words will pop up on the screen, but grab your Bibles. If you've got a Bible, if you've got an app, open it up to Matthew 6. And, and the reason being is because I'm going to jump all over this passage. So keep it open. I'm going to mention random verses and then kind of flick to them and quote them. And, uh, and so it's really handy if you've got an app or a Bible with you to open to Matthew 6. I'm going to be reading from... Uh, verse 19 onwards. And, and as I do, I want to invite you with the, the context I've just set for you to come to this passage afresh. I want us to come to this passage as the little children in Luke 18, just longing to, to hear of the kingdom, the little ones to whom this kingdom belongs. So I invite you to open your hearts. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to pray for us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus invites us into a totally different type of relationship. He says the Gentiles seek after these things. They give their lives for these things. They pour themselves into work to earn money, to clothe themselves, feed themselves, and live life this way. But Jesus invites us into something different. He invites us into a relationship where our Father provides all of the things we need. See, both end up in the same position but one does it through self-slavery and, and enslaving themselves to their job. And the other does it through trusting in a good heavenly father. So earlier on in the passage, uh, Jesus mentions, he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And he has laid out in Matthew 6, three key ways that we can do that. And it starts with giving. So, Matthew 6 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, giving is one of the most awesome things you get to do as a Christian. It's also one of the most horrifying things you get to do as a Christian because it means your money is not your own. Giving is where, as Dex just mentioned, giving is where we get to uh, pour out back into the church and our local communities what God has given to us as stewards. And there's uh, really quickly, there's tithing, which is what we've been doing today. And and roughly, it's something like 10% of your income given to God. Over and above that, there's also offerings where for special reasons or causes, we give more. And then above that, there's giving to the poor and needy to look after those in our midst. And I love the idea of like the tithes being huge and the church gets to be filled with resources and staff and the offerings overflowing and we get to buy new buildings and do amazing things and the giving to the poor and needy and then the people in our community are looked after the way God would love to look after them. The problem is I have to give that money. I'd like to keep my money. I like nice things. I like nice clothes. I love travel. And if I want to live a life of giving... I have to trust a father who will see in secret and reward me. See, I remember when I was 17, I felt God asked me to give away everything that I had. At the time, I had just a little over $5,000 in my bank account and I gave it all away. I was left with $10 in my bank account, which at the time I didn't think through because $10 is the worst amount you can have in a bank account because you can't withdraw it. ATMs don't let you. And, and I was in a foreign country, so that made it even harder. So I may as well have had nothing because I couldn't do anything with it. And uh, it was exciting. It was terrifying. I didn't really think it through, which was probably God's gift to me being young. Uh, but my need for God and my closeness to God went through the roof in that season. Because suddenly I couldn't look after myself. Suddenly I needed him to take care of me. And I needed my father who saw what I had done in secret to reward me. And when you're 17, what's the number one expense you have coming up? Food. Food. No, no. that's that's. That, I guess that could be the answer in an Asian church. But <clears throat> for, for me, it was a car. I know, I know. Your parents got your car sorted. Asian church. Asian church, man. i got to get my stories right. The ones that are going to connect, the ones that aren't. Food, car, got it. Car. And, and I didn't know how I was going to buy that. And I ended up back here in the Lord. Uh, I was about to start university. I went to Curtin. And, and the Lord, uh, through like a weird series of events, kind of highlighted the scholarship. And Curtin, every year, gives out one scholarship called a business leadership scholarship. And I thought, I kind of lead stuff sometimes. I could apply for this. Uh, Didn't really think it would go that well. Didn't really think I had a chance. My parents encouraged me. And uh, one day I come home and sure enough, there's this big wide envelope that's kind of shoved into the mailbox because they don't fit in mailboxes. And and I open it up and sure enough, I've been awarded the scholarship. But I remember the day it dawned on me, the scholarship was for $5,000 per year for all three years I was at uni. See, my God, who sees in secret, rewarded me and provided far more than I needed. Yeah, it's a cool story. Praise God. The next part in, uh, <clears throat> the, next part in the passage I want to talk about is prayer. Uh, so Matthew 6 and following he talks about prayer. And he, he, his basic thing is, don't be like the Gentiles because they just ramble. That's how they think they'll get heard. And he goes, but not so among you. You've got a father. You've got a father who hears, who sees, who knows what's done in secret and will reward you. So instead of going to the street corners when you pray and yelling real loud, God, I gave away $5,000 and I need a car. He says, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father because your father who sees in secret will reward you Prayer is one of the most beautiful things on the planet it can be as simple as just talking to God the way you talk to a friend it can be as complex as taking any number of passages from the word and praying them back to God any number of the psalms and praying them back to God and it can be praying in groups and praying with friends and praying alone and and it's something i have given my life to Uh, And over the last 13 years, I would have averaged something like six to eight hours a week in the place of prayer, worship, and the word. And, and so I want to encourage you. It will transform you. It will make you a brand new person talking to and gazing upon God is the best thing you could ever do with your time. And my God who sees in secret rewards. And I wish I could tell like longer stories, but I'm cautious of the time, but my wife is the Lord's reward for me in so many ways. Um, that's it. Better than what I thought I wanted in a wife, more amazing than what I thought a wife could be. She is awesome and she is the Lord's gift. For For years I wanted a wife and never felt the Lord kind of highlight anything. And, and then all of a sudden he dropped this little angel into my life. And, uh no, for real, two, two weeks into dating, I told her I wanted to marry her. I said, you're it, I'm done, marry me. <laughs> she didn't run away, so that was a good start, and here we are. <clears throat> uh, one of the other passages, switching from prayer now, talking about fasting. And fasting is not very fun, uh, but it basically involves sort of the opposite of self in one way or another where in fasting we either don't eat for a while or don't drink for a while or we skip a meal or we uh, break away from doing something normal to set our heart on God and the, the short and sweet of fasting is it sucks there is no I've never heard anyone go man I just love fasting I just love it when I don't eat for three days in a row and I can't think straight And I'm really tired and all I want to do is eat. And one of the weird things that happens, uh, I've not experienced this because I'm not game to do it, but I have multiple friends who have done the 40-day fast um, on either water or juice. I have a bunch of friends who have done it. And uh, what happens is your sense of smell as a survival mechanism goes into overdrive, like a little bit like a pregnant woman. Um, just similar kind of analogy, but your sense of smell goes into overdrive and you can smell food hundreds of meters away. So not only are you trying to not eat, your body is desperately telling you, no, I want food. I'm going to (laughs) die. And somehow this is a good idea to God. Somehow Jesus in this passage, he actually says, and when you fast, it's not even an encouragement to fast. He just goes, and when you're doing that thing that you're supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus, when you're doing that, I want you to wash your face. I want you to anoint yourself with oil. This is what he says in the passage. Basically, have a shower, put deodorant on and look happy is is the essence of what he's saying. Because it's the same reality. He's going, don't do it to be seen by people. There's a hidden life in God I want for you because your father wants to reward you. And he wants to be the only one that sees if you're doing it for him. And when you do it for him, there is great reward coming. My uh, short version, trying to keep my story short. But uh, I'm loving being married into an Asian family. And we went out for family dinner one time, and it just reinforced to me how fasting makes people feel. But we went out for family dinner to a restaurant that we refused to ever name again. After about five minutes, we finally got seated. Roughly ten minutes after that, they came and brought menus and offered us drinks. And so people are already a little bit cranky because it's taken so long. Uh, about 10 minutes after they took our drink orders, we still didn't have drinks and no one had come to take our orders and you're all Asian, so you get this, but the hands are going up from the table, right? Hey, hey, I'm hungry. And, and so finally, some drinks start coming out, and we're going, hey, we got some kids. They need to eat. They're just going to be grumpy. And, and so they finally brought some food out for the kids. They take our orders for food about a half hour after we got there, and then we literally watched. This is no word of a lie. We watched as food came out of the kitchen, which we were unfortunately seated close to. But food comes out of the kitchen, past our table to someone else. Food comes out of the kitchen, past our table. We see this other couple get seated next to us and, and sure enough, their drinks come out and then their food comes out. And at this point, Father Bear in my new family, he's not happy. <laughs> and and it, was, it, was, uh, it was an interesting experience for me. Um, But it just reminded me, eventually we got food It was about 45 minutes after they took our orders uh, The the walk-off was happening The family had had enough Everyone stood up and they go, oh, it's okay, it's okay We've got your food So I'm not sure if that was coincidence or what But we finally got our food But this is the reality of what fasting stirs up in people And that wasn't even intentional fasting That was just bad service But fasting stirs up all kinds of emotions in us and and really what it does is it positions us for the truth of God to go deeper. And God wants to reward us in that place because there are no natural benefits of fasting. You literally waste away. That's, That's what happens. Your body will go into starvation mode and you will waste away. And somewhere in the midst of that, God is saying, I am your father and I will reward you. I am your father. I will take care of you. It's okay. You can trust me with your body. You can trust me with your energy levels. You can trust me with the work you need to get done. My father who sees in secret rewards me. And so Jesus would go on to talk about you cannot serve two masters because there's this one master that pulls us in this direction called money and another that pulls us in this direction called God, our father who we can trust. And funnily enough, from the outside world, both can look very, very similar. Now, none of us would suggest that we worship money, right? Like I hope none of you have a little shrine at home with a $50 note laid on it and going there bowing down. I mean, I've seen the little cat thing. I don't know what that's about. But none of us would openly suggest we have a, a worship of money in our lives. But the word here is mammon. In essence, what mammon means is loving the selfish gain that we get from money that over time takes the place of God in our lives. It sets itself up as a false god telling you that there is safety and salvation in the multitude of your possessions. It's no wonder that many wealthy rulers throughout history thought of themselves as gods. A right relationship with money where we trust our Father who sees in secrets, will pull us towards love and selflessness. Mammon will pull you towards greed and selfishness. Now, what's the big problem with all of the things I've just said to you? What about me? How am I going to build the life I want to build if I keep giving my money away And I keep sacrificing time to spend in prayer. And I keep sacrificing food and energy and happiness and comfort by fasting. What's going to happen to me? When we do those things, what we realize is that we have to trust God. See, it's not a case of God saying, I'm trying to destroy you. So I'm taking everything away from you because you're bad. It's actually a father who's inviting you into far more than you realize, because he is far better than you realize. See, when we operate at our full capacity, it can be really hard to figure out, did I do that? Did God do that? And what happens over time, and uh, if you read Deuteronomy 8, God actually says this when He brings Israel into the promised land. He says, you'll get there, and I've made an amazing land for you. It flows with milk and honey. And what will happen is you'll build cool houses, you'll have lots of money, and then you will stand and say, I did all of this. I'm the best. Who needs that God that brought us out of Egypt? And that's the challenge of our own hearts. When we build something, we end up in the same position as those wealthy rulers of old who thought they were gods and we turn our heart away from God. But God wants a heart that is turned to him, that through willing sacrifice enters into partnership with him where it becomes abundantly clear there is something greater in my life than just the work I'm putting in. Our Father is inviting us into a partnership with Him. See, you and I have potential outside of God, right? We're not like people who just can't do anything. If we really wanted to, if we wanted to run some amazing event or um, you know, put on some great stuff for our community, we could do those things. We actually have a potential outside of God, but it's limited and it's capped. And our Father is actually saying, do a little less and let me do a whole lot more. There's a partnership he's inviting us into that I call the God potential of life. It's the God potential in your work. It's the God potential in this church. It's the God potential to take you way further than you ever thought possible. After all, isn't that how so many of the Bible stories go? Like Joseph and Daniel, they were enslaved in Egypt for Joseph and Babylon for Daniel, yet somehow in their slavery, they end up effectively the prime minister of those world superpowers at the time. It would, it would be similar to ending up as, as Trump's right-hand man right now, the, the global superpower. Don't worry about it, The fact is Trump. <clears throat> but the global superpower of the day, like ending up as his most trusted advisor, God takes these people who were enslaved, Joseph sold by his brother, Daniel loses his family and has three friends. And he takes them and puts them in the most prominent position in the world at the time. Gideon has to go to battle and he's got about 30,000 troops against like 120,000 and he's stressed. So he goes and talks to the Lord and the Lord goes, sweet, let's get rid of some." And he's all like, I don't think that's going to work. And God breaks it down from 30 to about 20,000. And Gideon's like, all right, sweet Lord, are we ready to go to battle yet? Because now I'm feeling stressed. And, and the Lord goes, no, 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 not yet. I want you to just go through this little test and we'll see how many make it through. And it gets down to about 10,000 and he puts through another little test and they end up with 300 and he goes, Gideon, good news, 300, we got this. And they go to war against 105,000 and they win in partnership with God. This is what the Lord is inviting us into. And I could tell you like, like 50 biblical stories, you know, where this is the same thing that happened. God whittles someone down because he wants to do far more in and through them than they could do on their own. Yeah. And the last story I want to tell is a little bit of my own. It's nowhere near as epic, but it might be a little easier to relate to, to help, help give you some next steps. I'm 29, married to an amazing woman. I'm building a business, ministry, school and a few other ventures. I'm a busy guy and by the grace of God I get to be involved in some incredibly cool things. But every Friday morning, you will find me sitting in a little room in South Fremantle with anywhere from 1 to 10 other people and we seek the Lord. Usually I'm there from about 8 till 12 and as I mentioned earlier I've been doing this since I was 17. I give up my time to seek the Lord. And the job I have is a financial advisor. I only work four days. And, and I've done that for as long as forever. Last time I worked full time, I was 17. And, and it's been an invitation from the Lord to live less so that he can do more. There's also been a lot of times in this process where my work and my career and my own progression have had to come second to seeking God's kingdom and partnering with Him. Jesus is my King, so I'll follow Him wherever He leads. And if that's not the best outcome for my job, so be it, because I trust my Father. Yeah. And have I missed out? As someone working four days should? Because that's the logical outcome here that I should be less than my, my peers, less than those around me. But I'm going to say no. <clears throat> as a very young advisor, I have the CEO of one of Australia's top 200 companies as a client. I also have the CEO of a large multinational company as a client. I have clients with personal wealth in excess of eight digits. That's 10 mil plus for anyone not good with numbers. <clears throat> Uh, I've won a national award. And that is a, a snapshot, but that's insane. Yeah. I'm in my fourth year of advising, fifth. No, I've just started my fifth. I'm in my fifth year of advising. And I have the kind of clients financial advisors dream of. And it's not because I have some amazing connections. It's not because I've been the best, you know, I was just somehow born the best financial advisor and all the other CEOs in the world are just waiting to find me. It's been a father who rewards a son who chooses to partner with him. I have sacrificed and I should be less than my peers, not awarded and stated above my peers. But God has better plans. And God has better plans for you. And Oikos Church, as the Lord calls you as a church and as individuals into greatness, clothed in sacrifice, it's because He really does have greatness for you. As He calls you to serve in the kids' church, or as He calls you to sacrifice time for prayer and fasting and giving, and when He asks for your finances... It's not because he's trying to take something from you. He's a good father and he's trying to give something to you. Yeah. He wants to give far more than he ever wants you to give. You will not outgive him. You will not outlove him. You will not outsupply him. Yeah. It might take time and there have always been waiting times in my life, but God has good for you. Worship team, can you come up? So Oikos, my challenge for you tonight is for you to become kingdom seekers, to give, to fast, to pray, and to create a space for partnership with God. To embrace weakness is the place where God will meet you with His strength. To seek first the kingdom of God, believing that you have a good Father who will take care of the details of your life that as you pursue Him in your studies, partnering with Him in your day-to-day, living for His glory in your workplace, living for His glory in whatever situation that looks like, that as you give up of yourself, He will add to you His unbelievable God potential. You can trust Him when He asks for your time. You can trust Him when He asks for your strength. You can trust him when he asks for your resources. He has far more he wants to give you. Your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. I promise, because it's written in this book. And I know him, and I've lived it, and I can't wait for another 20, 30, 40 years of living it. So tonight, as we close out, I want to invite you to enter into the partnership of God. And I believe there are some of you in this room the Lord's been speaking to and He's been asking for things. Even tonight, He's been inspiring your heart for that place of partnership with Him. And if that's you, as the the worship team's just gonna sing and play, I wanna invite you just to to make your way up the front and I'd love to pray with you. And for those of you who, who aren't, who might be feeling stirred but not not anything specific I want to encourage you to ask the Lord Lord how can I partner with you in this season what does it look like what can I give up and in faith cling to the God potential you want to bring cling to the Father who sees in secret and rewards openly Lord what does that look like in my life so I'm going to close in prayer these guys will take over and if you would like prayer I'd love you to come forward Father, we declare tonight that you are good. Father, we declare over this house that you are good, that all your ways are just and true, and that we can fully place our trust in you. Lord, that in the tension of giving, in the tension of sacrifice, in the tension of what about me, we can let go. And we can lift our eyes to a father who wants to provide far more than we think we need, who wants to provide a God potential in our lives, who wants to do again what he did for Gideon and Joseph and Daniel. So Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We praise you for who you are and we invite you to move in this place.